Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how well this message has come together tonight, but I know it's of the Lord. So the way the the Lord works with me is that he will give me a thought. I may not even be on the roster yet, but he'll give me a thought. And um, this one I got before before Christmas. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, even though he gives you the thought, the pieces just don't always come together when you want them to come together, no matter how early you start to try and push it, (laughs) push it together. And then there are other things that get in the way and I believe that there has been some opposition to what I'm going to bring tonight. But I also believe that the Lord is speaking, going to speak to us just through what you said, Brother Miles and Sister Pam and other things, the songs that we sang tonight. Here we go. John chapter 6 and verse 9. Just one verse, and then we'll go to Matthew 25. John chapter 6 and verse 9. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And then if we just go over to Matthew 25, I want to read just two verses from this passage. I want to read verses 14 and 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Tonight I want to try and minister to you from the thought of something to work with. Hallelujah. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, place myself in your hands this evening, Lord, that you, Lord God, would anoint my lips to speak your word, the thought that you've placed in my heart, Lord, that it would be a word of encouragement, that it would be a word of motivation, that it would be a word, oh God, that you will use in your people to further your kingdom. Lord God, I pray that you would have your way in this piece of earth this evening. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would anoint the ears and the hearts that will hear and the lips and the voice that will speak for the glory of your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. hard not to read with your glasses on and it's even worse when you're all teared up. I stand before a group of exceptional people, not because of what you've accomplished in your lives, 
but because at one time or another you responded to the drawing of the Spirit of God. Even if you're here tonight for the first time, I want you to know that God is drawing you. If you're not where you should be this evening, God is drawing you. If you're not content where you are in him, he is drawing you to a further commitment in him. It's not by accident or by chance that you are here. In this little space of grace that we've been given, he's knocking at your door. He's inviting you to come. Jesus said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And this group of exceptional people, chosen of God in this space of grace, you've been chosen to partake in his kingdom for such a time as this. However, just like any invitation, it requires a response. It requires some action. It requires investment on your part. We quickly associate the word investment with money. And that's because for the most part, to invest, you need money. Whether you're investing money for for future income or buying an item that may be profitable in the future, the principle in this world is to make money, you need money. And when you invest with the intent of financial gains, it requires money on the outset. However, investment is not only something we can do with our money. Investment is also the act of devoting time, effort or energy to an undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Any kind of investment requires something up front. And because it requires something up front, whether it's money or time or effort or energy or work, it carries with it an element of risk. And risk is defined as the possibility that something could go wrong or something unwelcome will happen. Risks leave us feeling exposed, threatened and unsafe. Whether the investment is perceived to be high-risk investment or a low-risk, it still involves this element of exposure and the possibility that something could go wrong and everything invested could be lost before ever seeing any benefits. Every investor must make the decision whether to invest based on what they expect from the investment and the perceived risk. So if an investment broker presented us this evening with an investment opportunity that was low risk with high returns, the first thing you would think is that's too good to be true. But if he, what if he, this isn't the real deal? But what if this was an opportunity of a lifetime and you probe him for more information and you might even ask how much up front before going away to do some research of your own? And what if the answer was all that you have? Remembering that this investment may cost you everything, but the returns are high and far-reaching. The risk is everything you have right now to gain more than you can ever imagine. What would hold you back? Our investment in the kingdom of God does not require a standard upfront monetary amount. 
It does not require a standard measure of time, effort, talent or energy. Investment opportunities in the kingdom of God are tailor-made and are different for every individual. We serve an almighty, all-powerful God who created something as marvellous and intricate as this earth and the cosmos it belongs to out of nothing. He spoke to nothing and light appeared and he divided it from the darkness. He gave the light and the darkness names, day and night. He spoke to nothing and a firmament, firmament, well I never can say it right, or an expanse with a visible arch appeared in the midst of the waters and he divided the waters which were under the expanse from the waters above it and he gave that expanse a name and he called it heaven. All these things appeared from nothing and became something he named and could work with. He spoke to the water under the heaven and it gathered together in one place that dry land may appear. And the water obeyed and the dry land appeared and he named the dry land earth. And he gathered the water together and he called it seas and it was all good. He spoke to the earth to bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the tree yielding fruit after its kind. And the earth obeyed and it was good. And then he worked with the great expanse of heaven speaking to, to speaking two great lights into existence, one that would rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. The purpose of the lights would be manifold. They would not only provide light, but they would be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, creating time. Verse 16 of Genesis tells us he made the stars. The word made here is used to indicate that God formed something out of pre-existing material which indicates that before the stars, everything else came from nothing. So even if we think we have nothing worth investing in the kingdom, God can work with nothing to bring about something that he can work with as long as it is made available to him. He set the position of the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets in their places and they will not move from where he set them. He worked with the waters to bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. He designed and created great whales and all manner of fish and sea creatures that move through the water and winged birds that may fly above the earth, each with their own characteristics and mannerisms, all producing after their own kind, and it was good. God worked with the land to bring forth the living creature after his kind. He made the cattle and the creeping things. Yeah, they're the reptiles. Gross. And the beasts of the earth after their own kind. Each kind with their own diverse instincts, characteristics, markings and behavior. And it was all good. And finally, for the peace of resistance, the only creature that would ever be created in God's own image and after his likeness. They were spiritual beings created to live on earth and had perfect communication with God. Male and female, he created them and put them to work as caretakers of the garden and giving them dominion over all the creatures. Everything that was given to them came and belonged to God. They were created to be stewards of their relationship with God, stewards of the garden and stewards over all the creatures they shared the earth with. God did not speak to the earth to bring forth man. 
but the pinnacle of his creation was formed from the dust of the earth. God can take the smallest of something and work with it to create the most intricate of machines as the human body. The scripture continually reminds us that we are clay made from the dust of the earth and there we are destined to return. In Exodus, we read that an altar was to be an altar that was to be used to sacrifice unto the Lord had to be made from earth, from the exact same stuff that man was formed from. Man was created to be in fellowship with God. Sin destroyed the original relationship, but now through Jesus Christ we are called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Our bodies are the altar and our lives are that sacrifice. Hebrews 11.3 gives us a science lesson in matter. So the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. I like the way the message paraphrases it. By faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. The tiny particles that make up matter are called atoms. Lots of atoms joined together make up matter that we can see so that the things we can see are made of the things which do not appear. God worked with nothing to make something he could work with. And what we see today in creation with its complex systems and its hard to grasp scientific explanations are all part of the wonder of what God can do when given the opportunity to show his majesty and power. He takes great delight when that which seems insignificant is invested, placed in his hands in its entirety, given over, surrendered to him to do and to will of his good pleasure. God is not impressed with the same things we are so easily impressed with. We often miss quality because we're blinded by quantity. Jesus did not miss the quality nor the quantity of the widow's offering of the two mites. And he was unimpressed by the quality and the quantity of the rich man's offering. The widow willingly gave all that she had. There was nothing in her purse when she left the temple that day. Her two mites did not impress the others that were there. In fact, she didn't really give much in comparison if you're looking at what she gave. And it wasn't much compared to the, to the treasure that the rich man poured out into the offering plate. However, Jesus noticed and he pointed her offering out to the disciples. He put more worth in her offering than the offering of the rich man because she gave out of lack and she gave all of what she had. God's economy does not work like the world's economy. He takes that which seems foolish and that which seems weak to confound the wise and the mighty. He chooses those that are common and despised and raises them up to be kings and rulers and deliverers. He, ta he takes the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. A young boy 
was asked to give up his lunch of five barley loaves and two small fish. It wasn't much, but it was all, but it was the only bread available within miles of where they all were. I imagine the barley loaves were probably only the size of dinner rolls, just enough to fill a boy up for lunch and perhaps an extra one for a snack later. It was all the food that Andrew had come across since Jesus mentioned feeding the multitude. Andrew asked the same question we would have asked. What are they among so many? And he was right. This was a little bit and it wouldn't go very far among so many people. It seemed like an insignificant offering. There were a lot of people. In fact, a great company had come to see Jesus. And like a good host, Jesus didn't want to send them home hungry. There were 5,000 men, and that does not include the women and the children that had also gathered with their husbands and family members to see the miracle worker. The task seemed impossible, and I'm sure the disciples were baffled. In fact, in the same account in Matthew 14, the disciples suggested to Jesus that he should send the people home so that they could buy bread in the villages, but Jesus had a plan. And I'm so glad that Jesus always has a plan. When reading the New Testament, I'm yet to read where Jesus is surprised, where he's caught off guard or, what he, or doesn't know what to do next. Nothing shocks him or rocks him, confuses or perplexes him. He knew what he was going to do and he knew how he would do it. He already knew what he needed to work with to feed the people and who would supply it. But to test Philip, he asks him, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And while Philip is doing the math and working it out, how much money they would need to feed the people, Andrew comes to Jesus with five loaves and two fish and says, this is it. This is all I could find. But what are these amongst so many? It was evening. Lunchtime had come and gone, and this youngster still had a lunchbox full. As a mother who experienced lunches coming home from school untouched, I've come up with three reasons little boys don't eat their lunch. Either he didn't like what was packed for him, or he, he made a friend and eaten lunch with him, or this is the one that's probably most likely, he was too busy to stop playing and eat when he was supposed to. Jesus takes the lunch and I imagined he smiled a knowing smile. He didn't comment on the lunch. He didn't confirm Andrew's concerns about it being so small. But he instructed the disciples to organise the people and he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed fresh bread to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And he did likewise with the fish. And once everyone had eaten, they had gathered leftovers and there were 12 baskets of barley loaves left. Who could have even imagined what Jesus had done that day? The little boy had no idea when he gave his lunch away that he would be feeding the multitude. His investment, what he put in the hands of Jesus didn't seem like much but it was all he had and he expected to go home hungry and explain to his mum what had happened 
But the return for his investment was exceedingly abundantly above all that he could have asked for or even thought. No one went home hungry. Everyone had been filled and had a testimony of provision to tell. A man travelling into a far country calls his servants to himself and he distributes his good amongst them according to their ability. To one he gave five talents, to the other two and to the other one and then he takes his journey. There are no instructions given of what you do with what you're given. But he left it with his servants and it's understood that a servant works for you. So if, say, if your master gives you something to look after, you're probably meant to make it work for him somehow. So the guy with the five talents takes the five talents and invests them and he makes another five talents. And the guy with the two talents take both, takes both talents he received and he also invests them and makes another two talents. However, the guy that only got one talent went and hid the money in the ground. Firstly, not everyone is given the same stuff to work with. There will be others with more. Secondly, just because you weren't given as much doesn't excuse you from not using what you have been given. It is true that to whom much is given, much is required. But just because you weren't given as much doesn't mean that anything isn't required of you. We are still expected to take what we have what we have been given to look after and use it an investment into the kingdom to which it belongs. When the man returns, he calls his servant to give account for what he had left in their care. And the servant that had been given five talents gave account of his investment and that he doubled the money. What was five is now ten and he is rewarded for his hard work. The servant with the two gives account of his investment and his two have been cut four and then he is rewarded for his hard work. And then the servant with one comes back and hands it over saying, I knew that thou wert a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the earth. And here it is, safe and sound, just like when you gave it to me in the first place. Although there is nothing about this story that is amusing. What the servant did with the one talent does remind me of people I know that don't trust banks and hide their money. Yes, in holes in their yard or rolled in a pair of socks or hidden under a mattress. They don't want anyone to know how much money they have and they don't want to pay any fees to keep their money in the bank. However, they also don't earn any interest on their money either. In fact, the servant is rebuked by the master. And the master tells him the least he could have done with that talent was put it in the bank to earn a little bit of interest. He is scolded for being lazy and slothful. He didn't do anything with what he'd been given. His fear of losing the talent and failing at investment causes him to bury it for safekeeping. But the servants are called to work and the servants, the servant that did not and this, this servant did not work at growing what had, had been put in his care. The master could have put it in the safe before he left, but he chose to put it in the hands of his servant to see what they could do with it. You see, it doesn't matter how much you've been given. Two mites, five loaves, two fishes, 
Five talents, two talents or one talent. It's what you do with it that counts. You are accountable for what you have been given. You will have, to, you will have a chance to explain your activity or your inactivity, just as the servants had to explain. But what excuse can we give? Investment in the kingdom of God is low risk because we cannot lose. Not only will he work with us when we place ourselves in his hands, but we benefit from the returns in this life as well as the ones he has planned in the next. It's guaranteed. Don't fight against the spirit of the Lord. We often reason ourselves out of what we feel he's urging us to do. Brother Miles, you're not the only one. Obedience to the word of God is an investment in the kingdom of God. When we obey his word, we place authority and priority in it. We put his opinions above ours. If we decrease, he will increase. If we lose our life for his sake, we shall find it. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. We are required to put to work what we have been given. We must examine ourselves and see if there are any areas where we can do better. Are we... Are we investing God-given resources into a bag with holes? Have we been given this we have been given this space of grace, the right here and right now to do what we can with what we have for the kingdom of God. We are to give what we have been given. If if you can hear my voice this evening and know this Jesus Christ is heavily invested in each and every one of us. He went to Calvary for every person in this room. He died so that you, that we could be free, free from sin. Sin being that which ultimately separates us from God. Sin is living in a state of trespass against everything that God is. When we have sin, we carry guilt and guilt manifests itself in ways that seek to destroy us. And he wants us to be free from all that. From addictions, from oppressions, from fear, from whatever holds us back from fulfilling the purpose that he has for us in his kingdom. He has paid the price in full for you and I up front. He is completely invested in us. So let's not bury in the ground what he's left in our hands. But let's invest it back into his kingdom. Do something with it. We can't lose. Risk it all. Put it all in his hands, every bit of it. The returns are far greater than you can imagine. If Jesus can work with two fish and five dinner rolls to feed over 5,000 people, what can he do with what we have to invest in him? If he takes notice of a two-mite offering from a widow woman and considers what she gave from her lack more than what the rich man gave in his abundance, will he not take notice of the effort we make to be more invested in his kingdom? The kingdom of God does require us to work. And we must work at, work at our, own, our salvation. 
as we work at our monetary investments, as we work for a living. Anything that is worth doing is worth doing right. Are we taking the time to sit in his presence, investing in our relationship with the king of the kingdom, taking time to come into his presence and not ask for anything, but just to be with him, allowing him to fill us and change us and clean us and remake us, just to sit with him and bask in his love and have more of him in us moving through us when we leave. Are we taking the time to understand how God thinks by reading and studying the word of God? Are we taking the time and the effort to make God's priority our priorities, his house, his people, the lost? Moses stood before the children of Israel and relayed the message of the Lord. Take up an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil of light and spices for anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. There was a call for craftsmen and artisans to contribute to the building of the furniture for the tabernacle of the wilderness. And the, offerings, and the offerings started coming in from those whose hearts were stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. They bought, their, they bought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle, for all its service and for the holy garments. In fact, the offerings were coming in so thick and fast that the master craftsmen had more than enough of what they needed, that they had to ask the people to stop giving. That doesn't happen very often. In fact, I think it's the only time I've read that that's happened. The children of Israel became invested in God's purpose to build the tabernacle and a spirit of giving and of willingness overwhelmed them. The resources they, provide them, they provided gave them a place where God would meet with them and gave us a shadow of Jesus Christ. The returns of their investments are truly far-reaching as we still benefit from it today. I'm reminded of the Shunammite woman who wanted to do something more for God. Elisha passed through Shuman and when he did, she would have a meal ready for him. But she wanted to do more. So she convinced her husband to build a room and furnish it so, when the, prophet, so the prophet could have a little chamber each time he passed through town. She wasn't looking for any special favours or blessings. She was just looking for a way that she could bless the man of God. Her efforts to bless Elijah by providing a meal and a place for him to turn in were an investment into Elijah's ministry and in turn an investment in God's business, God's kingdom. We are encouraged to invest in his kingdom in whichever way we can, withholding nothing. When Jesus asks for something to work with, he wants all of what we can give, no matter how great or small. We may feel that what we have isn't worth much. What are these amongst so many? Or why we, we may be scared like the one-talent guy, but let us not make the same mistake he did. Sister Cassandra, if you come. 
Let us take the one talent and invest them in the kingdom of God. Make another talent. If we invest in God's kingdom and place it back in his hands, what he has placed back in his hands, what he has made us caretakers of, it only gives him great pleasure. But it, and it also gives him something to work with. The kingdom of God is the only true low-risk investment with high-paying dividends and returns. We cannot lose when we place things in his hands. We cannot make a mistake when we invest in him. There is nothing in this world worth holding on to that's more than the salvation that he has freely given us. Then when we place ourselves entirely in his hands, and become invested in his purpose, in his kingdom. He works in us and the returns in this world is a Christ-like life and the returns in the next is a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He's not interested in our leftovers or the bits we think are worth using. He wants us to put everything we have in his hands. Give him something to work with. See if the creator who takes nothing and creates something and then works with that something to give us what we see all around us. See if he can take what we place in his hands and completely leave us flabbergasted at what he can do with a little bit that we can give him. Tonight, if you want to give Jesus something to work with, Why don't you present yourself at this altar? If you want to be more invested in the kingdom of God, let's see this thing grow. Let's see this thing grow. Let's see this place full. That the Spirit of God would be like a thick cloud in this place. That when people walk in, they feel the difference. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, if you want to give him something to work with, if you want to withhold nothing from God, see what he can do. See what he can do with you.